Uh, last week, if, uh, if you were here with us, we, f- we started a series on um, 1 Timothy. And we looked at a passage from chapter 2 where God desires all um, people, all nations, background, no matter um, where you are in your socioeconomic status, God desires all types of people to come to know him as Lord and Savior. He's not just looking for... Uh, the Jews or just the Gentiles, he's looking for both. He's not just looking for the rich or the poor, he's looking for both. He's, he uh, desires all people to be saved. And so, um, he, and we talked about how all people have value, which is why, you know, everybody has value. And so the question that I have this morning to set us up for our passage is, can someone have the same value but have distinction in the role? Does the role you play equate value? And that's, that's an important topic that we're going to get into this morning. So if you have a Bible, um, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you didn't bring one, Scripture will be on the screen for you. And as you're turning, I, I just want to say this is a passage that has uh, caused a lot of division in churches. Uh, this is a difficult passage to deal with this morning. Um, which is why I love walking through books of the Bible, because if I would just skip, if I just go from the first part of chapter 2 to chapter 3, you guys would say, why did you not preach that one passage? Uh, so this is why I love preaching through books of the Bible. It, it forces me to preach difficult passages. We need to hear from all of God's Word, not just just easy things, right? And so this morning we, we look at a difficult passage. I pray by the end of it we see the beauty of it, and that it's not as difficult as we once thought it might be. Um, But let me pray for our time today in God's Word. Uh, God, I pray this morning that that those who are um, a part of this congregation, that they would just get excited about your Word. Uh, Lord, I pray that those who are visiting, maybe just discerning if this is the place that you'd want them to be a part of and connect with, I pray that you'd help them... um, also, just to see uh, the importance of walking through Scripture, um, that we're not dodging passages, that you've, um, you've given us all Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by you. And so, Lord, help us to uh, understand this passage, the importance of it today, why you gave it to us in the first place. And, Lord, may it just be uh, pleasing to you. May we respond in a godly way. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, this passage, I think, is so important for us. It's really about foundations. That's what First Timothy is about. How do, we, how do we create a sustaining, healthy church? You know, we're a young church plant. Um, exciting days for us. But what about, like, our children that just left? You know, will MCF be a, uh, a good church for them to raise their children in? That, that's, that's my desire. I, I really would love to see, you know, this church go through generations, not just be just something that it's exciting that it fizzles out when some of us are gone. But how, how, do we, how do we create a sustaining church? I think God gave us incredible instructions here in 1 Timothy how to create a sustaining church. So, um, but I think before we get to it, I really need to do some foundation. Um, we looked at this last week, and you remember last week we talked about how God desires all people, all nations. We went back to the purpose of that or the reason why 
is rooted in Genesis 1, that creation order. We have to spend some time in Genesis, I think, before we get to chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. My fear is if we just jump right into this passage of chapter 2, some of you are going to get your guards up and like start to get feisty. But I think if we start in Genesis and just to see how God created everything, I think then when we get to 1 Timothy, you, you, might, you might receive it in a little better spirit. So let's jump back to Genesis chapter 1. So here we have a passage. This is what we read last week. So let's put this up. Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We looked at this passage last week, last week talking about how everybody has God's image. So everybody has value. Everybody has important, an important place. Um, and so... That's why we can't show distinction in um, things like race, like we, like everybody's important. Um, that um, that God created all people with this image. But then we looked at how there was a, a difference. There was a distinction in gender. And and here you're gonna you're gonna see the beginning of God establishing order. He he, he commands them. They have dominion over the fish of the seed, over the birds. The heavens over the livestock. So God creates mankind to rule over uh, the earth. So then we get into chapter 2. We see, so chapter 1, uh, maybe if you're kind of new to the Bible, this is important for you because sometimes you'll get some uh, pushback on chapter 1 and chapter 2. Some people think that they're these two different creation stories and, and that see the Bible contradicts itself. There's no contradiction here. Chapter 1 of Genesis is this big picture, airplane, aerial view of creation. Chapter 2 is simply um, a, a very close look to, to day 6, to the creation order of day 6. So that's what chapter 2 is. It's just, it just um, the ground view. As if chapter 1's aerial view, this is ground view of, of day 6. So in chapter 2, it says this, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a, a helper fit for him. All right, so just a couple words there. Um, it's not good that man be alone, that he needed a, a helper. And so this is God's language. This was not man's language. This was God saying, I will make him a helper fit for him. So Eve has not yet been fashioned. Um, and God's saying, I'm going to create this one. He's going to come alongside. and He's going to complete man. That they're going to have a purpose, and together, that they're going to accomplish more together than they could alone. And so that's what's going on here, that Adam wasn't lonely. Um, there's a difference between being lonely and being alone. Lonely is an emotion. Alone is a, uh, is a state of being. And so here, Adam is alone. He's incomplete. He's missing something to fulfill this, this purpose that God had for him. The next verse, now out of the ground. The Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the, of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that was his name. So you already start to see him taking dominion over the creation, the, that he's naming them. He has authority over these creatures. 
The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So here's that word again, this helper, this, this someone who's going to come alongside and help him um, serve this vision that God has given his family. Next verse, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the um, Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I, I love the imagery here. And I'm not saying this is the intent of Genesis 2. But I think there's at least um, some implications here of why the rib. Could God have taken any other bone from the body? I, I believe he could have. Why the rib? Because he wanted to. But I think here's a picture of it. I think this is the beautiful picture for us. If he would have taken a bone from Adam's foot, this could have been an opportunity for Adam to go, this woman that you're giving to me is underneath me. She's below me. Um, or if it was from a bone from, from the skull, then he could have said, well, now she's above me. She's leading me. She's the brains of this whole operation, which... You know, some of you wives are already nudging already. But it was a rib. And I love this picture that it's someone who comes alongside you. And that you're working together for the same purpose. And so that's what's going on here. And then you see that the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so here in Genesis 2, we see order established. That God created man uh, to lead his wife and together they would have this purpose and vision and part of that would be that they would oversee they would have authority over over the creatures everything else that god created that they would have dominion over and so we see order established in genesis 3 this order is flipped if you're familiar with the genesis 3 account this is where satan starts talking to eve and he starts saying did God really say? Did God really say? And then Eve takes of the fruit and eats. And then she hands it to Adam, who was where? With her, Scripture says. And then that's when sin enters the world. They hide from God. And then God reestablishes uh, that order. Where when he comes back in Genesis 3 and begins to question them, he starts with Adam. And then, then he goes to Eve, and then he goes to Satan. And so in Genesis 3, we see this order being tampered with, that, that it's really flipped. God created man to lead his family, and together they would oversee and have dominion over all of creation. In Genesis 3, we see the creation, Satan, leading the, the lady, Eve, who is then leading her family, leading Adam, and then God's down at the bottom. Then God restores that order and speak. He addresses Adam first, and then Eve, and then and then Satan. See, God is a God of order. And in another letter that uh, Paul wrote to another church who was going through even greater problems than this church at Ephesus, this church called Corinth. In this church, we'll see a couple of verses in chapter fourteen. Look at these, um, and if. And if, if I put up the context of this passage, it would look very similar to the passage we're going to look at today. 
And chapter, uh, chapter 14 of Corinthians is all about order, roles in the church. And here in, in verse 33 of chapter 14, it says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So we know that God likes, he, he doesn't want to confuse us this morning. I, 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 we see that from this verse. God doesn't want to confuse us. Um, he wants to bring peace into our church. So nothing I say this morning uh, should lead us to division, hostility. It should lead us to peace. So if, it, if, if you start finding spirit of division in you, um, then, then there's something wrong, either in how I present it or how you receive it. But that's not God's desire. God's desire is that it's about peace. And then a few verses after he says this, it says, but all things should be done decently and in order. And so this morning, this is about order. It's about, um, it's about the idea of equality, but distinctions in that equality. So, let's jump into this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, um, he left the passage we were in last week. He, it's about praying, um, and that we should be praying that God would save all these people, that all people would come to knowledge of the truth. Um, and then here he starts in a very similar way. So it's a good transition here in verse 8. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And so here he, he continues this theme of prayer. And he says, I desire. And I just, just want to help us this morning. Uh, is there a difference when the Bible says, like last week it said, God desires all people to be saved. And then now Timothy says, or, or Paul says to Timothy, I desire then that in every place. So I, I think this is important for us as we read, especially Paul's letters. Is there a difference when Paul writes, God desires for all people to be saved. And when Paul writes, I desire then that in every place. Is God's desire greater than Paul's desire? I think at face value, we would say, yeah, of course, God's desire. This is Paul speaking here. I, not God speaking. But what else do we know about Scripture? That all of it is breathed out by God. And so when Paul says, I desire, um, yeah, it's actually written through his hand. He's pinning this. But really, his desire is God's desire because God is speaking through Paul. Paul is an agent of God right now. And so when Paul says, I desire that in every place, we should also understand that what this also means is that God desires in every place, okay? So let's not make this, and, it's, and people often do this with Paul and Jesus, that Paul doesn't like women, Jesus loves women, uh, and, and that's not what, um, all, all scripture is red letters, okay? So if you have a red letter Bible where Jesus' words are written in red, it's all red if we properly understand the Bible, that's all spoken by God. And so here, God's desire, spoken through Paul, is that in every place, men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I love this verse. I just, what would it look like if we just had men in this church that just led us in prayer? That just men that, that because typically, historically, who, who, who are the better prayers? Women, let's be honest. The prayer warriors are typically women. 
Uh, it's usually not men. And I don't know if Paul is correcting this here, that he's just um, reminding men we ought to pray. Oh, we got to get on our knees and pray. Pray for our families. Pray for our children. Pray that God would do a mighty work in this community around the world. But men, we should, we should be prayers. And it's not just our words. It's not just what we say. But look, it's, it's, there's something deeper here. He says, lifting holy hands. So it's not just the words that we say. Because Romans 8 uh, reminds us that even when you pray dumb things, if your heart is right, the Holy Spirit takes those dumb words that you pray and he, like, interprets them and gives them to his Father. He gives them to the, to the Heavenly Father and says, uh, this is what he really meant to say. Uh, and, 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 and so here, Paul is getting at our hearts, that, that our hearts need to be right, that, that, our, that our hands should be holy, that we should come before God repentive, that, that we've been prayed up before we start asking for things. And we're saying, Lord, please, uh, help me live a holy life. That, that I would be blameless in your sight. And he's in, in this idea of lifting up holy hands in every place. Um, this, this could simply mean that in the city of Ephesus, that there's these, that these little, uh, what we'd call small groups, they would probably call a house church. And so they would gather in, in, you know, in a house. And it's saying, you know, in all these little homes, the men should be lifting holy hands uh, without anger or quarreling. Shouldn't be any division here. Uh, so he brings up roles for men, that, that men should be leading in prayer, um, lifting holy hands. And then he transitions in verse 9 to roles of women in the church. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. All right, so what does this mean? So some of you ladies who have braided hair right now, you're already like squirming. Uh, maybe you've got... Um, uh, gold or pearls or costly attire and you're like what what does this mean for us um let's put it back in our context it's so important for us where are they right now were well, they're in ephesus what was the big thing going on in ephesus you remember this from uh, from when we spent a whole week in the book of acts getting the background of this church plant what was going on in ephesus they saw a big revival happen didn't they uh, Ephesus was a very corrupt place, very busy, full of commerce, um, and and like the big tourist uh, attraction in this city was the Temple of Artemis, and Artemis was this god where you'd come to um, if you needed if you needed provisions. So if you if you were a farmer and crops weren't growing, you'd come and make sacrifices to this the god of Artemis. Maybe you were a, a lady and couldn't have a child and you really wanted the child so you'd come and make sacrifices to this temple um, we talked about all the drug addictions there because of the pharmaceuticals that were being distributed out um, th this was huge because when you'd come there would be these um what you'd call maybe a priest who would be there at this temple 
Um, and they would give you some kind of potion, some kind of concoction that you would drink or take, and it would begin to make you kind of high. And um, this would be a way for them to kind of, you know, uh, uh, get you kind of thinking in a different way. And part of this practice was the women here, they, they would hire these women and they would be um, part of this uh, um, uh, occult to where the women were prostitutions, uh, the, you know, pr- prostitutes here in this, in this uh, setting. So now keep all that context in mind. So now you have this church, and this is going to be a new church, right? This is a new church, maybe even younger than ours. And you have these women who you know are coming. You remember, they were burning all these books, giving all this money, um, burning all this, um, those who practiced this. You remember that from Acts? To where we, we did the, um, um, you know, we, we took the, the amount of silver that they burned and looked at it in U.S. dollars, and it was millions of dollars that they had burned that day. Um, we saw a great revival happen. And so now... In this church, you have these women who um, dressed a certain way, and these priests would have them dress a certain way for this, for the occult, for this, you know, f- to to be a, a a lady of the temple. And so now, these women who come out of that are coming into the church, and they are dressed a certain way. And apparently, it looks something like this. And so now, what Paul was saying here is. He is saying that that mature women, this idea of godliness, that they should be professing godliness, they should be dressing um, in respect, respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. And so this is not him just um, denouncing pearls, gold, and braided hair. It's specifically here in Ephesus that that this is what those women look like. And it was bringing, apparently it was bringing confusion to the church that they're going, wait a second, I thought she's now a Christian, but she looks like the same ladies who are at the temple. And so Paul's addressing this issue specifically. So for us today, what would it look like? Well, I think the idea of here that, that, um, that the women are about being... Um, Modest, self-control, and respect, respectable apparel, professing godliness with good works. Paul writes the same thing to another young pastor named Titus. Just a couple books later, uh, he writes this to, to Titus in, in uh, Titus uh, chapter 2. He says, to older women, he says, older women, you are to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so here, I I want you to see, even as we jump into verse 11 um, and 12, that there's this idea here of that, that women are to be growing, to be maturing in Christ. Um, Let's look at 11 and 12 and, and put these back together with 9 and 10. So 11 and 12 in 1 Timothy 2. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right, these are, what do we do with these? What do we do with these couple verses? This is, 
difficult in our culture. Uh, we are a church plant around the college campus. You know, on the college campus, this is uh, not highly viewed right now. I mean, this is um, uh, this is the feminist movement uh, from the 70s has grown into what we have today. And so what do we do with this? Well, I want you to understand the context here is church. This is not the workplace, okay? So Paul is writing uh, about women at church. Uh, this is so, this is not saying that women, you can't have a job, you have to stay in your home, okay? So let's quickly uh, understand that. Also, I want you to see that, that women here, to learn quietly with all submissiveness. Ladies, there should be a spirit of uh, teachability within you. That you, you should be willing to learn. That you shouldn't come in to the church all prideful, thinking, I know everything, let me just be quick to speak, slow to listen. Um, but we are called to be slow to speak, quick to listen. And so here there's this idea, apparently um, women um, were, um, were not being submissive um, in, in the church and le- with leadership. Um, and this idea of, um, of growing in godliness. Now Paul gives us some, uh, he gives us the reason in 13 and 14. But I will go ahead and tell you, 13 and 14, you're not going to, I'm not going to read this. You go, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, he doesn't, it, it's not, it's not just, just this great dissertation on, um, on roles. So let me read 13 and 14. Uh, and then we haven't even got to the difficult verse yet, okay? So uh, 13 says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became the transgression. All right, so uh, that's his reason. That's when you see the word for, it, it, it's, 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 it's allowing you to understand what he just wrote. So he's, for, for him, when he's writing, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for, or for this reason, because... Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became the transgressor. What is he doing here? He's going back to that Genesis order, isn't he? That for at least for Paul, he sees something important about the Genesis order that is that should be applied also in the church. And then um, verse 15 is a really strange verse. He says this in verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And that's the close of chapter 2. Then he makes this transition to chapter 3. Like he says that about verse 15. And then chapter 3, which is not on the screen, but if you have um, uh, your Bible in front of you, he just makes this transition right to... um, qualifications for elders and deacons, for these overseers, for pastors. So what is the connection with all this? Where is, what is he doing here? I, I think it's really beautiful um, what he's doing here. Um, and I think we, we need to really unpack verse 15, maybe even to give us a better understanding of 11, 12, 13, and 14. So let me, let me take, let me wrestle with this verse 15, this really obscure, strange verse. 
that many commentaries have spent a lot of pages, a lot of ink on verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, there's a lot of issues here. Is, is Paul promoting salvation by works? I mean, you see that word, if? If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So is he saying that if you continue doing these things, you will be saved? Okay, so we've got that. But I think the bigger thing that we're probably staring at is, what is this about sh- if she will, be, she will be saved through childbearing? Um, is it because childbearing is such a painful thing that in that moment women cry out, Lord, save me. I need you. Is that what's going on? That labor leads women to salvation. Um, I, I've been a part of the, the labor scene, and it, from what I've seen, it's extremely painful. I don't know, but um, is that what this means? That she here is the women that Paul's talking about, let a woman learn quietly, that, that these ladies will be saved through childbearing. So that's one interpretation. I'm just going to go ahead and say, let's just mark that one off. Because when we compare that with other scriptures, it just doesn't, doesn't match up for many reasons. One, then, um, then it's no longer saved by grace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, uh, we're saved by grace through faith. But this is, this is something different. That now salvation comes through childbearing. So, but what about women who can't have children? You know, sorry, there's no salvation for you. But didn't God just say just previously that he desires for all people to be saved? I think part of that would, part of those people would be women who cannot have children. We're also leaving uh, half the population, aren't we? What about men? We're all in a big mess right now, if that's how we understand this verse. That women are saved through childbearing, but men, sorry, tough luck. So this, that interpretation of this verse doesn't make sense. Creates a lot, it creates far more problems, right? So let's mark that one off. So here are two options that I think are viable. Um, the second option would be that the she here in verse 15, in the immediate context, would be referring to Eve, Okay? And that the she here is Eve. So if you look back and so, so, so think of verse 15 as Eve. So let's go back to verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Eve, and, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Okay. Now, that gives us a little bit of light to this, okay, if, if you want to hold to that view. Because what this could be referring to is back to Genesis 3.15. Um, and Genesis 3.15 is not on, not on screen, but it's, it's the verse that talks about there's going to be this offspring who's going to come through Eve. And this child um, shall be this Messiah. He's going to be the one that he's going to have this rival with Satan that we see in Genesis 3.15, that, um, that Satan shall uh, bruise his heel, but he shall stomp uh, the head of Satan. So, 
is this talking about she will be saved through childbearing, that she's going to bear a child that is one day going to redeem mankind and salvation is going to come through that child? It, it, it could be that, okay? Um, that, that could be, and that, when you read commentaries on this, that could be what's going on. I, I think there's a better explanation, though, um, than, than this referring to Eve. And this is talking about her, this, you know, the Messiah coming and being the Savior of the world. I think the she here in verse 15 is referring back to the greater context of women at Ephesus that let a woman learn likewise also that women should adorn themselves, respectful apparel. I think it's referring back to them. Um, that yet she will be saved through childbearing. So let's unpack this from this third view. Um, the word here, saved, in Greek, is the word sozo. And sozo can also be used in different ways than just spiritual salvation, okay? Um, and in fact, I, I'm reading, this is from the ESV, um, English Standard Version. I don't know what version you're reading from, but some versions render this differently. If you have a New American Standard Version, it looks, um, it renders the verse like this. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children. That, that kind of, that shows you that the translators of the NSV look at this verse a little differently. That they're not talking about spiritual salvation here. It looks like they're talking about something else. That women shall be preserved through childbearing. And I think um, if we look in the greater context of this letter, we see Paul using this another way. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, so just a few chapters later. He says this, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. All right, so let's look at this. Let's look at this in light of what he just said in chapter 2. So some things here that he's addressing is um, women, you know, younger widows marry. Um, bear children. This is the same word here when he said back in chapter 2 where it says childbearing. Um, yeah, that yet she will be saved through childbearing. Here in chapter 5, the editors look at it as being bear children, which I think is this idea of, you know, bearing children, managing their household. It's It's not just the idea of having the children, having a child, giving birth, but it's, it's raising children, managing their household, give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. So this idea that, that somehow women, that they'll be, they'll be um, preserved or saved from physical, um, maybe spiritual oppression from Satan. A New Testament author um, Andreas Kostenberger says it this says it this way. He says three factors combine to make this the probable understanding of the passage. First, the close parallel of First Timothy five, which is what we just read, where as mentioned, Satan is explicitly referred to, and where childbearing is likewise mentioned 
as the way by which women will be kept safe. Second, the fact that Satan is clearly in view in the preceding verse in 1 Timothy 2.14, where Paul conjures up the scenario of the fall as one of two reasons why women are not to occupy roles of ultimate authority over men in the church. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Eve, Paul implies, was not kept safe at the fall. She was deceived. Why? Because she left her proper domain under her husband's care. What happened as a result? She became an easy prey for Satan. How can women under Timothy's charge and churches everywhere avoid repeating the same mistake? By childbearing, that is, by adhering to their God-ordained calling, including a focus on marriage, family, and the home. First, First Timothy 2.15 thus turns out to be Paul's prescription for women as a lesson learned from the scenario of the fall described in the preceding verse. And so here's this picture that, that women will be kept safe, not, not saved like salvation, but be kept safe by understanding their, um, their God-ordained role uh, in their family. Um, you know, look back again to Titus 2. Titus 2, and I want you to see, I want you to see the opportunity for discipleship here in chapter 2 of of 1 Timothy, um, where Paul's addressing these women and how they dress. There's a picture here that, and and you see it again in Titus, that older women, and so for those of you who would, as I'm speaking, who would, you receive this, and, and, and as I say older women, you might think, Okay, that's me. Okay, I'm not going to point out fingers to older women here. I'll get punched maybe. Um, but older women, you have this incredible responsibility to lead, to help lead the younger women here. And, and I love that. I love that there's women here who want to disciple younger women. And so older women, you're to come alongside. Think about this church. you got these women who come out of this very dark profession of prostitution, being this goddess of the temple, and, and, and now you're in the church. How, how is she to know any better? Unless another lady comes alongside her and says, hey, let me, let me walk with you. Let me teach you what it looks like to be a godly lady. And so here you see that in, in Titus, that these older women are to train young women to love their husbands and children. So there's an emphasis in the home here, right? To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. If this is the correct understanding of this passage, then women will be vulnerable to Satan if they devalue and abandon a focus on the family and a focus on the home. Or encourage others to do so. Uh, just if if this is what this means, and you abandon that 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 importance, uh, then you'll become vulnerable to attack from Satan. So, what does this mean for us, though? That's where we want to get to this morning. What does this mean? That um, does this mean that women are to be confided home? Not at all. 
the mandate for women to center their calling around the home does not mean that you are limited to the home. I understand that there's, that's a difference. That's important. That, that wives, I'm speaking to wives, wives, that, that you have this calling to center, that, you, that home should be at least the center focus. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be limited to the home. I mean, think about, think about in the Bible. Just If I would say, like, who are some of the most important women in the Bible? It wouldn't take very long for some of you to say, Proverbs 31, lady. Like, she's like that lady, right? I mean, when you're reading that, though, look at her. Is she limited to the, to the house? Goodness, no. I mean, she was like the Etsy lady before Etsy was around. She's doing everything. Like, she's making all these things. She's selling them out in, out in, uh, in the town. She's buying property. I mean, she is an incredible lady. She's, she's got her hands in, in business, okay? So this is not like saying you can't do any kind of business. You can't work at all. This is saying don't neglect what God has called you to do, okay? That your focus, the primary focus should be on your family. And that all the other stuff you're doing, like all the jobs you have, should be to help better your family and God's purpose for your family. See, I think when we come to a passage like this, uh, I think our culture has been so deceived about marriage. I used to think that our culture had a problem with submission. And that's why we have a problem with this passage. It's because it says here that women are to learn quietly with all submissiveness. I, I, don't think that, I don't think our culture has a problem with submission. Maybe, but I think it has a bigger problem with biblical marriage. Because I, I don't think we have a submission problem. M- many of you ladies here um, who have jobs... you. You have you submit to your boss if it's a man, and there's not a problem there. Well, maybe you have a problem submitting to your boss. I don't know. That's that's not a lady problem. It's mankind is sum, is uh, submitting to those in authority. But I think our culture has been deceived to have a low view of biblical marriage. I saw this illustration years ago. And I've used it many times dealing with this um, from a pastor named Vody Bacham. Look how Vody. He uses this illustration, and I, I think it's so insightful. He gives us four statements. And when I first read these statements, some of you are going to, maybe you have problems with them. So let's read these. I know you're feisty this morning. Maybe you're ready to push back. Let me just keep pounding on you. So number one, and I would say my wife, Olivia. My wife, Olivia, is a highly educated woman who has laid down all her pursuits in order to submit herself to my vision for the family. How, how does that feel? Like, is that, you're like, ah, I don't like that language today. That sounds crazy. All right, what about this one? Number two. My wife, Olivia, does not contradict me in front of others. She shows me that uh, respect and honor. So even right now, she disagrees with me. She wouldn't get up and make a big fit, fit about it. But when we got home... She might tell me, okay? Uh, Number three. My wife, Olivia, communicates to myself and others the vision that I have established for our family. Number four. 
my wife has forsaken other opportunities for independent self-fulfillment of her gifts in order to put her gifts under submission for me and my vision for our family. How do you, what do you do with those? You squirm, you want to put up dukes, throw blows this morning? But what if I change some words here? What if I used uh, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice and when she was Secretary of State for President Bush? Same, same exact statements, but I'm going to change my wife Olivia and me and put Condoleezza Rice, President Bush. Let's look at these. Number one, Dr. Condoleezza Rice is a highly educated woman who has laid down all her pursuits in order to submit herself to President Bush's vision for the country. Number two, Dr. Rice does not contradict President Bush in public. Number three, Dr. Rice committed herself and her vision for her president, for President Bush's administration vision and not her own. Number four, Dr. Rice... Uh, had forsaken other opportunities for independent self-fulfillment of her gifts for the sake of helping President Bush fulfill his agenda. It's amazing how we just change that that place. Um, and we think of Condoleezza Rice as being a hero, don't we? Like We're like, man, look at what she did for our country. But yet when it comes to my wife, we think something's wrong with her. Why would she do that? She like she's like archaic. Can't believe she would do that. But God has created us um, to have order, to not to have chaos. And our family should have order. Uh, and I think if if you believe that there's something wrong with Olivia and the wives calling here, um, then I think you've been deceived. That you believe that working for some man in the White House has more value than laying your life down beside a man that will lay down his life for you. Uh, I started the sermon this morning with a question. Can someone have the same value but have distinction in their role? How, How might Jesus answer this question? See, within the Trinity, you go back to Genesis 1 passage. Within the Trinity, you have one God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And just, this, is why, this is why theology is so important. This is why foundation is so important. Within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are those three entities, are they equal in value? It's so important how you answer this. Is the Father equal to the Son, Son equal to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit equal to the Father in value? I believe yes. When you look at Scripture in its totality, they're equal, okay? Do they have distinct roles? Yes. They have distinct roles. Does Jesus do things that the Father didn't do? Who's the Savior of the world? Which person of the Trinity? Jesus. 
But then you have Jesus, who's Savior of the world, who's equal in value, saying to his disciples, it's better that I leave you guys so that the helper could come. Who's the helper he's referring to? The Holy Spirit. That he's saying, listen, for you guys right now, it's better that I send the Holy Spirit. Does that mean the Holy Spirit has more value than Jesus? No. It means that he plays a different role in your life. And so is it possible that when God created mankind in his image, is it possible that mankind could be distinct in gender and have different roles that we would actually reflect that image that God created us in, that we look like the Trinity? And yet, I think when Satan in our culture has, you know, everybody's equal, it doesn't matter what you do, and women can be pastors, and uh, it's the same in the workplace or in the church, I think it's blurred lines to where we don't understand who God is anymore. And I know a church locally here, uh, who, who a person on staff or was on staff at this church, believe that the Holy Spirit um, is female. I'm going... This is why this, these are so important. That Jesus says that I will send him, masculine pronoun, him. But yet we have in our culture people who think that the Holy Spirit is female. That we've blurred all these gender things. Do we have problems in this country with gender issues? Yes. Okay? And it's rooted in creation. Okay? What is God calling you to do with this message? Men, maybe it's time you begin leading spiritually in your home. That you lead your family in prayer. That you lift up holy hands for your family. Listen, men, if you need help with that, if you're just like, I'm kind of new to all this, I don't know how to do that. My dad didn't do that, so I don't know how to do that with my family. Just on that connection card, a couple options for you. Just put on there, just... I would love to learn more about this. I I need help with this. Drop it in the box. I will contact you this week. And we'll begin to just, we'll meet and we'll think throughout, what does that look like for you? How can you take those baby steps to lead your family? Or in your bulletin, my phone number's there. Call me or text me. Let's meet up. I want to help you. I want to help you lead your family. Uh, Your wives want me to help you lead your family that i hear that from so many wives just i just want my husband to lead i'm exhausted from leading wives what do you do with this do you have a bitter taste in your mouth when it comes to biblical male leadership is this a role that you desire maybe maybe you want control and you want to lead your family which is also found in genesis 3 part of that curse What's resting in your heart that would produce such a desire? Has your desire, and man, I just want to encourage you, come Wednesday nights. Man, if you want to get deep inside, like how do you work? Man, last week was some good stuff. We talked about how your desires can become demands and begin to like rule over you. And so do you have a desire for control and trust to become, you know, have those desires become ruling desires and demands? If women are not allowed to have teaching authority 
of men in church. What significant role do women play in the life of the church? Paul gets to this answer a little later in this letter. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to address the answer today because we're going to get to it. But know that, listen, ladies, I truly believe from chapter 3 that women should not be uh, pastors in the church. But that doesn't mean that you don't have extreme value and importance. That we're all the body, and the body needs all members working together. And without women in this church, this church would fall apart. I promise you that. That women, you play such an important role in helping this church grow. There's so many things that you bring that the elders cannot bring. There's no way we can. You are so important. And we're going to get to a lot of those. But just know that as elders, we value you. That we think that you are so important. Um, And there's so many churches around the world where women are holding the church together. Praise be to God for our godly women. And we have, trem- we have so many godly women in this congregation. So thankful for you. So what is Paul trying to help us to better understand? I, I think this is what he's trying to help us to understand. That a healthy church, which is what he's trying to help Timothy set up, a healthy church is a church where men are leading spiritually in their homes and their wives are coming alongside them to help them with that vision. Same as it was in Genesis chapter 2. That's what God was establishing in chapter 2. Satan came in and ruined that. And it ruined that. If you think of that being that little family as a little house church. It was divided that day. Division. I think what Paul was trying to help us understand is. Where men are leading their families. By lifting up holy hands and praying. And are putting the interests of their wives and children above their own interests. That's what I want to see for MCF. I want to see men who love their wives as Christ loved the church. That husbands, you would put the interests of your wives and children above your own interests. If that means something in the budget has to get cut, it should be something of yours first. That you don't cut your wives or your children, that you start taking away yours. Uh, I'll close with an illustration of my own. Um... I love sports. Uh, I love to play sports. I love to watch sports. Uh, I, I, when ESPN, when SportsCenter used to do, some of you older men, you remember when SportsCenter would come on at like 6 a.m. And SportsCenter would just be like um, half an hour, an hour long, and then it would just start over. And it would go till noon. And it would be the same SportsCenter for like four or five straight hours. I would watch two or three of those same so like it would go off and it would come back on it'd be the same stuff just come back on and just repeat and and i would just watch it again Uh, i love sports i love to watch sports play sports um my family last year bought me the internet and cable package to where i could watch sports and i'm like this is incredible um, they, it was like a birthday present. And, uh, and so like I'm watching all these sports I hadn't gotten to watch for years. And then I start thinking about the things that we want to accomplish in our family. And one thing that I've just, my wife, like she's so incredible and she's been so patient. Um, 
with me and uh, and and uh, being a part of MCF and you know we moved into our new house we had a screened in porch uh, that screened in porch was something like she's always loved screened in porch like just to have one and it got torn down for some construction reasons it just had to come down and uh, and our kitchen she would love to redo our kitchen and just she's never nagged me about it but every so often there's just reminders like man it'd be great maybe this year we can focus on the kitchen and you know and I'm looking at our budget going oh man I'd love to do that but I just don't see where we can do it it just doesn't make any sense and the Lord just put conviction over me this like this year just going looking at the budget and looking at what we pay for internet and cable and then going here and here my wife who who like she is she's she could she's one of the best teachers Cabell County could ever have and she's willingly set aside that so she could homeschool our kids like she just wants to invest in our family and I love that and I want to encourage her with that and and I think you know she's in that house most of the day with those kids and uh and and for those of you like she loves to bake and so like kitchen's important to her and and hosting having people over I'm looking at our budget going, man, like, sorry, we can't have screen imports or this new kitchen. Sorry. And as I'm flipping to, like, ESPN 8, you know, and I'm sorry, you just can't have your screen porch or your kitchen. And, like, the Holy Spirit just said, ah, she can't have it because you've made much of yourself. Like, you're, you're all about you, and you've not put the interests of your family over yourself. So I said, man, I know what I need to do. So about a month ago, I just called and canceled cable completely. Canceled internet. We only have internet. Like, I don't even, like, like a year ago, you go, how do you live without internet? I don't know. You can't live without internet. Somehow we have. Like, it's amazing. We don't have internet, and somehow we keep living. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and, and so, you know, husbands, we're... Where are areas that you can just, sh- and, and, but yet there's, there's still, let me just say, there's no new kitchen yet. There's no screen and porch, but I, that's at least a, a goal for us. Like I want to help her to, just to host better, to be a better host for people have our house. And I just want to serve her and put her interests before my own. What, what are ways that you can do that for your wife? Or even if you're dating, and I, I know it's tricky when you're dating, like, Listen, ladies who are dating, you don't have to submit to your boyfriend. The Bible does not say that. So if the Bible, if you think, if, if your boyfriend's saying, hey, you got to submit to me, n- you need to point to Ephesians 5 and say, no, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, you are called to be submissive to your, to your father. And one day he will hand you over to a husband, not a boyfriend. Okay? Um. But men, like just in a dating relationship, how are you leading that? How are you leading your girlfriend? Are, are you putting God first? Are you leading her spiritually? Are you putting her interests before your own? See, this is what a church should look like. That, that we're all putting the interests of others before our own self. And that's what Paul is getting at here at this church at Ephesus. That we're, we're creating unity here. And so even with this message, I'm... There's, there's concern here that you can leave here with division and 
hostility. I pray that you see the motive from this is just about unity. How do we work alongside each other? We don't all need to do the same roles. So maybe God designed us in certain ways. And so what do you take from this? How do you respond to this? I pray that it's out of humility and that we can all be submissive to our Heavenly Father.